Welcome to World House Radio Stories of Home. I'm Sarah Tranum, host of this weekly podcast that brings you interviews with leaders and innovators in the fields of housing and design. Each week we discuss the issues and solutions surrounding housing from the local and global perspectives. The theme of this week's show is the mobility system of the home. With the most recent hike in gas prices, daily talk of global warming and climate change, and news about the latest hybrid vehicles, there are many questions about the future of mobility. Today we welcome a guest who is working to understand these issues and plan for the future. Susan Zielinski is the Managing Director of the SMART Project, which stands for Sustainable Mobility and Accessibility Research and Transformation. The SMART Project is part of the Center for Advancing Research and Solutions for Society at the University of Michigan. She brings over 20 years of experience working on issues around transportation and sustainability. She spent a year as a Harvard Fellow focusing on new mobility innovation and leadership. As a transportation planner with the City of Toronto, Susan worked on several successful successful initiatives and has served on a number of local, national, and international committees focusing on new mobility. She is a registered professional planner and member of the Canadian Institute of Planners. Susan, thank you for being a guest on World House Radio. Oh, it's great to be here. Can you talk about the SMART Project, its mission, and the work you're doing at the University of Michigan? Sure, I'd love to. Um, Well, SMART focuses on sustainable transportation, and it, it really focuses on global urban region. And the reason for that is that we're at a point on the planet where we're moving from about one-third of the population living in urban regions to about two-thirds by 2025. So the whole arrangement of our lives is shifting all around the world. So we're focusing on urban regions and we're also taking a systems approach to transportation, to urban transportation in particular. And that's sort of based on the really simple premise that everything connects to everything else, that there's a very complex set of factors that go into understanding human movement and goods movement in cities. And uh, you can't sort of really isolate any one, and that's what we've tried to do. So what we're looking at is how do you look at the dynamics of movement around cities and the various transportation modes and the various products and services and cultures and politics of transportation and understand the best way to understand those dynamics and then the best ways to affect those dynamics that'll make uh, for a more sort of sustainable system, not only environmentally sustainable, but of course socially and economically as well. We do three things. We do interdisciplinary collaborative research, and uh, the SMART program is particularly exciting for me because I always feel like we sort of zero in on transportation as if it's the domain of either the planners or the engineers or the even just the geographers, but Really, transportation belongs to everybody. And at the University of Michigan, we involve the business school and the environment school and the public policy school and the planning school and Ford Motor Company. And it's truly interdisciplinary. So the research that we do crosses all boundaries in a sense. It's very similar to your project. So we work on research that is about real challenges in global urban regions. And because of that, we like to do projects in collaboration with local folks in those regions. And right now we're working on a project in Bangalore, India, for example, and one in South Africa. And then we're also making sure that we stay close to home and doing a little bit of work in Detroit. We really see sort of iterative learning from working on the real complexities and then bringing that back to finding out what what more we need to know and what more research we need to do. And then in relation to that, we're creating programs for 
learning. So we're developing a certificate program at a master's level that's interdisciplinary on sustainable transportation. And we're hoping to also create a doctoral level program, again, um, from a really interdisciplinary point of view on uh, sustainable transportation and from a whole systems perspective. And I guess the last thing I'll say about SMART is that we really focus on three key subject areas. Of course, it's all related to the many wonderful things that are going on right now in urban transportation. It's a very burgeoning, exciting field that's kind of exploding because of the need and response to all the challenges of climate change and social equity and things like that. We've found three main niches. First one I already mentioned is the whole systems approaches, connecting the dots. That's based on the idea that really there are so many innovations going on, but if they're not brought together in a way that's really usable and feasible, then people can't use them and they're not sustainable. So we're we're looking at both understanding and implementing from a systems point of view. The second area that we're working on is accessibility. And it includes the kind of wheelchair accessibility stuff, but it's sort of a wider picture of what accessibility is. What it really means is that our focus needs to change from moving for the sake of moving to actually saying, well, what are we trying to accomplish here? And why are we moving in the first place? And how can we meet our needs as opposed to how can we move from A to B? So that really shifts the way we think about things and it really shifts the number of options that we have. In a way, why did the chicken cross the road? The chicken didn't cross the road so that he could move. He crossed the road so that he could do something, so that he could get food or get to work or whatever. Really, transportation is a derived demand. We do it in order to get somewhere to do something. So we're developing, for example, a comparative index of accessibility in North American cities to see which cities are more accessible. So in other words, you can achieve a lot of things through mobility. You can achieve a lot of things by moving to places, but you can also achieve things by proximity, by moving things closer to each other. And you can also achieve the similar goal through technology. You can do telecommuting, telebanking, teleshopping. There are a number of different ways of accomplishing things. There's an example that in Europe, for example, you would be able to do four meetings in one day, and in the United States, you might be able to do two meetings in one day, and that's because even though you're driving farther distances and faster, you don't have as many accessibility options like the seamless multimodal transportation or like the wise urban design and land use or the technology options that allow you to eliminate the trip altogether. So our whole premise is based on we're aiming for accessibility more than aiming for mobility in a sense. The third main area that we're working on is new mobility industry development. The easiest way to think about that is that we're beginning to understand that urban transportation provides an opportunity for a real shift in the transportation economy towards greater diversity and towards a huge economic business opportunity. So with all the innovation that's going on and with all the connection that needs to happen between those innovations, there are really big possibilities for the private sector to become involved in the innovation around urban transportation. We're working with private sector partners, uh, both big business and local entrepreneurs, small businesses, to try and retool our thinking around the transportation economy, the urban transportation economy. So we call that new mobility industry. 
the best image or metaphor for that is it's a little bit like the evolution of the telecommunication industry. If you can picture that guy in the white lab coat in the 50s and standing in front of that gigantic mainframe computer in a room where the computer is almost the size of the whole room and he's this little guy dwarfed by this gigantic computer. And you wonder, was he thinking nanopod, desktop, laptop, printer, camera, cell phone, GIS, Google, all connected. All those services, products, technologies are interconnected now and form a very exciting and customized and flexible, individualized portfolio of options for people. And that's kind of the way that new mobility is evolving. A biological metaphor is that, you know, after a fire or a flood, you get this really fast monoculture growing up, quick growth of poplar trees. So you have only one species. And then what happens over time is that the smaller species start to grow in underneath in the underbrush, a whole bunch of them, and then they start relating to each other. And then you have this much more diverse ecosystem. So that kind of thing is what's happening with new mobility. You're moving from the monoculture of cars into a system where you have all these new modes and services and products and technologies. And I don't mean just fuel technologies or powertrains. I mean information technologies that help connect transportation modes and help have them run smoothly and have information transfer between them. There's a whole evolution to this integrated system of opportunities and options in urban settings. And the better that we can connect those options the more that people have a seamless door-to-door trip where they're not sort of left on either end of a transport mode with no options. So we're looking at all of the different business opportunities that come from those new innovations, and we're bringing together partnerships and strategic alliances to help that happen. So those are the three main areas that we're working in. That was going to be one of my questions, was looking at what the definition of new mobility is, but you explained it really clearly. It's not just physical movement of people and products, but it's also the movement of information and movement of of everything that makes society function. Yeah, I have a a bit of a media bite answer to that, too, if, if you'd like it. Sure. (laughs) <laughs> we had to do that because sustainable transportation is such a long word and it's not really sexy, right? We came up with new mobility is about moving people, moving goods, and moving less in ways that are cleaner, greener, safer, healthier, and more equitable. What prompted you to want to work on transportation issues and this new way of thinking about it in terms of new mobility? What a great question. You know, I I only just recently began to realize that I come from a long line of transportation engineers, but really I think of myself as an artist. (laughs) So finding myself in urban transportation never ceases to amaze me. But I think what happened was I eased into it through an original interest, just a, a kind of personal interest, because I rode my bicycle everywhere around the city and began to see all the connections and how important it is to be part of the life of the city and how much cars cut us off from that. So basically, I just got involved in bicycle-related stuff, and then it all sort of started to connect. And what keeps me in transportation is that it's part of everything. Aside from food, I think it's the thing that's most part of our lives every single day, every single moment. Everybody needs it. Everybody does it. It's connected to absolutely everything. And that's what makes it so unbelievably important 
and so unbelievably exciting. And it gives it so much potential for change, for social change, for environmental change, and even for change about the way we think. So that's what got me all wrapped up in this. It's a good answer. Well, and you can start to see why the multidisciplinary approach makes so much sense when you talk about the future of mobility, that you can't look at it without looking at everything else and how it connects. I know we've definitely saw that this year in our studies as well. I have a little story about that. I was trying to figure out why we think about sustainable transportation the way we do. For example, if someone says, oh, you're in sustainable transportation. Oh, you work on alternative fuels. And couldn't be farther from the truth. Really, alternative fuels for me is addendum, in a sense, to what the greater change is that needs to happen. And I'm thinking, why, why, why are we that way focused? So I was reading this planning literature, probably bedtime reading <laughs> I saw these two words that jumped out at me as being very indicative of how we think. One of them was captive. Can you give a guess as to what captive means in the transportation planning world? Captive. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'm a captive sometimes when I'm on the TTC. Right. You're exactly right. Is I was going to say, did you ever see the movie Speed? What it means is captive on a smelly bus. And I thought, oh, what a sad thing that is. Because really, it didn't be that way. It should be that riding a bus is a nice thing and it's a better option and that our life is going to get better when we have a range of connected options as opposed to, you know, this great sacrifice. So that was really interesting. And then right after that, I saw this other term and it was called transportation disadvantage. I guess you can imagine what that means. It means that you don't have a car. So, you know, that means if you don't have a car, you don't have transportation. That means transportation is cars if you do the shift of logic. Oh, okay. Well, if transportation is cars, then how do we fix transportation? If we want to improve on transportation, then the only way we can improve transportation is to improve on cars. So if you're thinking about transportation safety, you're going to make cars safer. You're going to make roads safer. You're not going to make your city safer, you're going to focus on that thing that you call transportation. So we got all focused on cars being the only transportation, and that's kind of where we got stuck. And I think we kind of need to bring ourselves out and say, in fact, what we need to be thinking about is how are we helping people in urban regions meet their needs? And this is where it all hooks up. It'll all hook up with, with housing as well. I mean, if people have stuff close by, they can get it, and you don't need a car for that. So if we're changing the job of the transportation planner to say we need to meet people's needs and we can do it by either different transportation modes or we can do it by designing our communities so that you don't have to go so far or you don't have to go around at all or so that you can get on the internet and accomplish what you want just as easily from time to time, then it's a different set of understandings and a different set of solutions, a whole bigger set of solutions. It really relates to how we have our self-identity and our status. If cars are everything, if cars are an extension of ourselves and if they are our main transportation, then they represent who we are and they become this thing that says we're sexy or we're powerful because of the type of car we have. It really says a lot about how if we want to move into a new way of living in cities, 
that allow us many more options and a much better, more beautiful life, then we have to rethink how we relate the way we move to who we are. The thing that always gets me is that, you know, when I fill out that form that is on your driver's license and it says, okay, if you die as a result of using this machine, can we have your kidneys? And I go, yeah, yeah, okay, I believe in this. But then I think, for what other appliance or machine would we gladly give our organs up in advance in case we die as a result of it? Like, I wouldn't do that for my hair dryer or my microwave. I would say, well, if it's going to kill me, I'm not buying this thing, you know? But we're so culturally attached to our cars that will say, sure, have my kidneys. And I think, you know, you can see that in the car ads too. The car ads aren't really about transportation or safety. They're about building a culture that has us identify with our cars. So you can imagine right now, if you just close your eyes and think about all the sexy car ads you've ever seen, and then think, well, you know, if we're going to really move into a new place, we need to be developing new languages and new images around transportation because that whole thing about captive and transportation disadvantaged in the very way we speak about transportation that we're second class, we're losers, we're at a disadvantage if we don't have this thing called a car. The whole notion of alternative transportation is interesting. It's like, okay, if you have alternative transportation, then it seems like it's always going to be the alternative. It's like saying women are alternative men. And until we imagine new mobility as the mainstream as the better option as the future. And until we redesign the images around human mobility and goods movement in cities, we're not going to make the full transition. We're always going to be somehow marginal. I mean, I often try and imagine the ad for new mobility culture where, you know, maybe different companies or different partners come together and promote the new mobility culture on commercials. And, you know, I think about that with your cell phone, you can know when the next bus is coming and you're, you know, you're not stuck in traffic and you're kind of moving magically from one mode to the other and you're absolutely free and you don't have this albatross of a car that you have to wash and pay for and pay insurance for and park. What are the new images and the new languages that are connected and positive and sexy and exciting that paint that picture of new mobility that don't have us so constrained to one vehicle represents who we are and we're stuck with that? Can you provide an overview of some of the successful new mobility hub networks that have been implemented in different parts of the world? Sure. Um, my favorite one is in Bremen, Germany, and that's where it started. And that's a really nice segue, too, because it's all about connecting the dots, and it's all about um, promoting it in a really positive way as well. I should just step back and say new mobility hub networks are like a series of points around a city that are transfer points. And at those transfer points, you have a range of transportation modes and services and things. So at one hub, you might have a parking structure and two different transit services coming together, like a regional and a local. And you might have taxis parked there, maybe natural gas taxis, and you might have car sharing vehicles there. You might have bike share, where you can get a free bike using either a smart card or a cell phone, or you belong to a, a group that allows you to take this free bike that's just sitting there. Same with the car sharing sharing vehicles, that you have access to the car share. And each one of these different transfer points, I think of it as places where shift happens. And that's also seen as Jamie Lerner from Curitiba, Brazil, talks about that as urban acupuncture points. 
So at any one place in the network, at any one of these hubs, you can change from one mode to the other. It's all enhanced by information technology that tells you information about what the scheduling is and how to get access to all the different modes. The really great part that's more possible now than used to be possible is that information technology can make it be so that you can get off transit, for example, grab a car share vehicle and do whatever you need to do using a car, like pick up your friend's floor sander and go do something. But then you don't have to drop it back off at the same place as if it's a car rental. You can drop it off at a completely other hub that might be closer to where you are now. This is a kind of an interconnected network. And an exciting part of that is that it's also very resilient. So if something happens in one area of the city, like Hurricane Katrina, for example, or something major strikes, you have this backup system like the energy system or like the information technology system. You've got this integrated network that backs up, that still functions. It's not like if a highway goes out, you have no access to the hospital or to any of the needed services. So it's a very robust and resilient system. The really exciting part from a putting it in place point of view for people that are making these things happen is that you can start incrementally because connecting any two dots is already better than having only one mode. So if you have a transit system, but you link it with car sharing in one of these hubs, you have a mini hub, that's already better, but you can keep on adding things in each one of these hubs in any area of town. More options are better and more connectivity, more seamless connectivity is better. So in Bremen, the system is quite advanced. And they call it the egg-laying wool milk pig because that's apparently a classic term for them that is about connecting many good things in an unusual way. They combine most of the things I've said, car sharing, taxis, transit, information kiosks, wayfinding, information technology in this very integrated network. And they're actually moving that into some other cities across Europe. There's a hub network that's just been launched in Toronto. The hub number one was launched at the exhibition place. The next couple of hubs are going to be launched over the next year. I've heard recently that Shanghai, China has taken this on, and certainly our projects here at the University of Michigan are focusing on looking at hub network opportunities in both India and South Africa. In one of your papers, you discuss the need to move beyond single-fix approaches to issues of mobility, and you state that alternative fuels alone or policy changes alone cannot address the serious urban challenges and conditions we face. Can you elaborate on the kind of solution building that we do need? We need to understand all the different factors that we're dealing with in a complex urban system. And then we need to bring a range of opportunities together. We need to bring together cycling, walking, transit, goods movement, information technology, all of that together to form a whole system as opposed to saying, oh, let's just make every car have alternative fuels. The thing is, the two examples you use about the silver bullet, about the idea of one single solution, just imagine the logical conclusion. If every bicycle in China, for example, became a car, then every car would become a house because it wouldn't be going anywhere. It would take up so much space. When you put in alternative fuels to every car, which I think many of us just assume that as long as we make all the cars in the world have alternative fuels, then we will have fixed the sustainable transportation problem. But we still have the problems of space, 
of safety. Cars that are on alternative fuels still kill people and run into people. And also of social inequity, of lack of affordability. So you have all these other problems that are not solved by alternative fuels. Alternative fuels are great as one element in the whole system. Same with pricing. There's a really interesting movement amongst some folks that think that money is the motivation behind everyone's every move. To me, that is not really sophisticated enough an approach to human motivation. Okay, well, all you have to do to deter people from driving is to hike up the gas prices so high or charge so much for parking. All that motivates people in their transportation choices is money. And I actually completely disagree because I know of many people who would much rather walk a beautiful route that takes them longer to get to work or they would much rather take a train where they can socialize with their friends and not have to worry about being on the highway and driving in the day. So, you know, no matter how much you reduce the price of driving, it would still be more motivating to me and to other people that I know and studies have shown this too, that pricing is not the only way to regulate transportation. And I think what happens too is that when you do um, certain pricing mechanisms in transportation and you don't actually channel the money that you make into better options, you're just keeping on feeding the system the way it is. So there are some road pricing approaches, for example, you would have to pay to go on a particular highway. But if that money goes back into building more highways, then you're building a society that's built on highways, which requires cars, which continues the whole system. A good pricing mechanism is the London congestion charging scheme, where the money collected from the congestion charges goes right into sustainable transportation options, which I think is a really great idea. But that, again, is only one part of the whole system. And what we need to do is pull all those pieces together. And in order to pull all those pieces together, we need to bring all the partners together. And that can't just be the government. And it can't just be even the planning department. It has to be the innovation department and the communications department and the tourism department and the uh, financial department. It has to be a whole range. And it also has to be private sector, and it also has to be NGOs, and it can't be any one of those. It's uh, an effort that has to be done in concert. You mentioned that Shanghai is looking at this new mobility hub and integrating that into the system. And I read recently on the flip side that GM launched the first car designed and manufactured specifically for the Chinese market because there's such a hunger for cars and, and an aesthetic that is distinctly Chinese. I'm curious where you see the future of mobility heading. And if you think that the future will play out very differently in North America and Europe than in China or in the rapidly growing cities in the global south. That's what we're working on. That's one of the most exciting questions of our time, actually. In some ways, it's up for grabs everywhere. It's going to depend on leadership and courage. There are many different approaches being taken at the moment and many forces in play where car companies, current and past car company approaches have been very much focused on the car market. There are some new and hopeful signs that say car companies 
that are progressive are beginning to see themselves as providers of mobility and accessibility. The way I see the future of transportation moving is that there's going to be a great recognition of the giant market for urban integrated transportation that's multimodal. And car companies have a huge role in that. The role of the car might shift to being more from a service perspective, not an ownership perspective. And and there might be new ways of approaching goods movement and all new approaches to urban transportation and the car's role within that. It will definitely not discount the role of the car, but it will shift it. I think that the exciting part is that there are many, many innovations going on all over the world, and there's a lot that we can learn from the global south in terms of new ways of integrating these different innovations and new ways of applying the different innovations according to cultural needs, according to aspirations. And one of our big challenges is going to be, how do we understand what people's real needs are? Are people's real needs to have cars or are people's real needs something deeper, values that are deeper? And how do we get to those deeper values with new mobility? One of my favorite examples that I've been learning in this project in India is that if you ask them, do you want a car? Many people in Bangalore, for example, will own a car for the sake of status, but they'll never, ever drive it because it's too crazy to try and drive in downtown Bangalore. So they'll have it in the garage, but they never use it much. And they just drive their motorcycles around. But the big thing in India is that you want to be driven. That's the status symbol. So how can you adapt new mobility systems to say, well, you know, it's wonderful because in new mobility, you get driven places, either in smaller vehicles, could be with other people or not with other people. But the aspiration isn't necessarily to be driving your own car. That's an aspiration that comes from Western culture. If we're all working together on understanding what motivations are, then we can actually send messages out that are about the world becoming a better place when we have this whole huge range of options that are interconnected and that we can have access to a car at any time. That leads to my next question, just about technology and how it's allowed cities in the global south to leapfrog over older, more infrastructure-heavy technology that we're still relying on. Do you see an opportunity for cities in the global south to leapfrog over gas fuel technologies? I'm wondering if you're seeing any particular trends in certain cities that indicate that there's more progressive attitude in this area that will allow them to really jump ahead of where we are here in Canada or in the U.S.? Absolutely. That's one of the really exciting parts. And I I was kind of alluding to that when I said, you know, there's a lot that we can learn from the global south because there are new ways of doing things, new ways of thinking, new ways of organizing and having partnerships as well that we're sort of stuck in certain processes. Maybe there's more flexible and dynamic and open innovation possibilities. One of my favorite leapfrog technologies is the cell phone, meaning that you can use your cell phone for wayfinding and for fare payment and for tourism for going around the city and linking all your transportation modes. Where we have gone through ticketing and smart cards and all of these things, in the global south, almost everyone has a cell phone now. They might not have indoor plumbing. They might have nine people living in a room, but they may have a TV and a cell phone. The opportunities for linking information technology with a range of public transport that's enhanced by this information technology is quite exciting. How do you think the future of new mobility will change the design and experience of our cities, our neighborhoods, and our individual homes? 
I spent a year at a prominent design school. And what I noticed in the architecture section was the real emphasis on built form. And it might have even been um, affordable built form or it might have been environmental built form. But it was very much the built form in and of itself and not ways to move in and around those structures. And I think what's going to happen is that there's going to be a much better confluence of our built form and our many and connected mobility options. Again, this is all about the notion of accessibility, providing communities that have accessible the things that we need close by where possible and where the seamless multimodal transportation is provided only when it's necessary to go farther distances. In terms of how that affects our homes, I think there's going to be a lot of questioning about the size and design of our home and where we put car share vehicles and how big a space do we need and how do we create green spaces so that we don't have to drive so far to come in contact with nature. I think tourism is going to be very different. We're going to be discovering our own cities and exploring them from a natural as well as a cultural point of view. In terms of homes, it's interesting the transition through the new urbanism phase where the garage took on a new role. There used to be the garage beside and very prominent, maybe a double garage. And then new urbanism moved the garage to the back. And I suppose what I see with new mobility is that perhaps the garage will become obsolete because there will be different placements of single occupancy vehicles. There'll be some more available to us in the more central places. I have one last question. As a planner, a researcher, and thinker on these issues, what does home mean to you, and how would you like to live in the future? Oh, wow, you end with the big ones, don't you? (laughs) Hmm, What does home mean to me? I think home is more of a spirit-related question or a feeling, and it has to do with us feeling comfortable in our own skins and being with our communities and being comfortable and feeling safe and ready to embrace beauty and joy, which can only happen in those spaces where we do feel safe. And I don't mean safe just from the physical danger point of view, but from the sense of aesthetic and beauty and community that needs to surround us. So that's all very ethereal, but I think that those kinds of values need to begin to come into our sense of design of our homes and of our communities. What are the deep needs that we have from our homes and our communities as opposed to what are the products that represent them? And the other question was, how would you like to live in the future? I guess I just really like the idea of freedom. And I think that for years, freedom has been the catchword of the automobile. And for me, freedom is freedom of choice, of at any point, I can be seamlessly going from one place to the other and enjoying my journey. So I'm not discounting the experience of getting from one place to the other, but that journey is part of my life. That's the way I want to live, that the getting from one place to the other is life. And therefore, that has to be beautiful and it has to be efficient and it has to be safe. You know, I love the idea of the hubs and the multimodal because I want to be able to hop on my bike and leave it somewhere and take transit out within seconds and know when it's coming 
coming and have it be clean. And then I love to be able to space out on a train that's going past some nice scenery and get somewhere and then pick up a bike or a car share there and have a whole bunch of options available to me and be able to walk lots of places. Talking about all this high tech, it might feel like, okay, well, that's only for the rich countries and it's not fair and it's inequitable. But I think the gap is getting smaller in terms of the kinds of futures that we can imagine both for the global south and for the developed world. If we have communities that are walkable, communities that provide what we need close by and organize services and schools and places of worship and places of work in ways that they're accessible to us in a straightforward way, we don't need huge massive infrastructure. We don't need the really big mega projects necessarily. We can have integrated, flexible, not all that expensive opportunities that are within a walkable community environment. So I think that makes it more accessible for communities worldwide. Susan, thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed talking with you and getting your expertise and insights about mobility. It's great to have you be a part of World House Radio, Stories of Home. It's a pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. To learn more about the SMART project and the subject of new mobility, check out the links on our website, www.worldhouse.ca. The two songs used in today's program are both about different modes of transportation. These songs were created by independent artists willing to share their music online for free. The artists can be found on garageband.com, a website promoting new and emerging independent musicians. Links to the artists can also be found at our website. Worldhouse Radio is a project of the Institute Without Boundaries. To learn more about the program and the work we are doing on the world, House Project, please visit www.worldhouse.ca or www.institutewithoutboundaries.com. Join us next week for another episode of World House Radio Stories of Home.